3: Hello, you're very welcome to The Tonight Show. NIAC recommends the Johnson & Johnson vaccine for 50-somethings. We'll have the very latest on the vaccine rollout. As the government considers its summer reopening plan, what will the next few months look like? The government's chief whip, Jack Chambers, will be here to debate with Sinn Féin's David Cullinan. Do get in touch on Twitter, our hashtag tonight, VMTV. Well, first tonight, Virgin Media News reporter Paul Quinn is at Government Buildings for us. Breaking news this evening, Paul, health experts at NIAC are set to recommend the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, we believe, for people aged over 50 and older. But there's some other nuances in it as well, isn't there? What's the latest?
2: Yes, Kira. So, Nyack have been meeting on this issue a number of times since last week, since the EMA met and said that the benefits of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine outweighed any of the risks. And it was highly anticipated that we would get some sort of uh, formal announcement from Nyack today or tomorrow. Now, tonight, Virgin Media News, as you say, understands that uh, the recommendation to go to the Chief Medical Officer will be uh, that Johnson & Johnson vaccine will be given to people over 50, but also younger people when there's no other option. Now, we're expected to get around 600000 and doses of this single-dose vaccine. By the end of June, uh, the Roma traveller homeless communities have been some of the vulnerable communities earmarked to get this vaccine. Now, as I say, that advice will go to the Chief Medical Officer, Dr Tony Houlihan. He in turn will give his verdict to the Health Minister and then the government will uh, ultimately uh, direct the HSE uh, next in what to do with that. As I say, that news breaking tonight, but we should get some further clarity on it tomorrow and see perhaps what sort of an impact that might meet on the government's targets of getting a percent uh, at least one dose of the vaccine by at uh, the end of june
3: and let's talk about what's happening later this week we know the government is going to announce the next phase of reopening and perhaps uh, what's going to happen in june july and the rest of the summer there was very optimistic murmurings last week coming from neffet and indeed some government ministers has there been a, a bit of a u-turn and have the recent figures had anything to do with that do you think
2: Look, I think the government has some really big decisions to make this week. We're just three days away from uh, an official announcement and you'll always have a little bit of wrangling and a little bit of friction between the public health officials. Their job is to to advise and, and to see what sort of an impact these measures will have on public health. And then you have the government who ultimately will have to make the decisions and you'll have various lobby groups, of course, making their point for further reopenings. And we saw some of the easing of restrictions earlier on today around uh, golf, golf courses and tennis courses courses and things like that and in May we're due to get more word on construction and retail and and personal services but basically over the last couple of months every lobby group you speak to they just want clarity they want dates. We're still unclear exactly when hotels will open, will it be in June, will hospitality uh, uh, go side by side, when will we be able to travel around the country. Uh, Tonight the uh, the business group IBEC writing to the Taoiseach saying these uh, sentiments of a summer outdoors simply doesn't go far enough and they want more clarity and I think that's what everyone is crying out for this Thursday, So I think a lot of pressure on the government and, as I say, some big decisions to be made in the next couple of days.
3: And the backdrop to that is obviously the vaccine rollout, but also the latest figures um, on the number of cases on a daily basis. The five day moving average, Paul, is that a cause of concern?
2: Look, I think it is. This is always something that we're told to keep an eye on, not to be always focusing on the daily cases. Tonight, 437 new cases and one further death. But the five-day moving average is at 475, and that has been steadily increasing over the last week as well. Now, interesting, some uh, positive comments from the Chief Medical Officer tonight, saying that while we should be cautious, we could also be cautiously optimistic. However, I do think, given that we're three days out from a govern- government announcement, the fact that uh, tonight, uh, Dr Tony Hulin's saying that uh, indoor mixing and that, that, that you know, is something that he's still pretty worried about and that could uh, put all the progress that we've made uh, to date at risk. So there'll be certainly some alarm bells ringing when people hear that, but you have to take the good news as well and saying that we can be cautiously optimistic, saying that around 25% of eligible adults have now received at least one dose of the vaccines. in the, the vaccine programme and the public health uh, measures are the only way and the key to getting us out of this pandemic, he says, in the coming months.
3: Okay, on that positive note, we'll leave it there Paul Quinn at Government Buildings thanks for speaking to us this evening. I'm joined now in studio by Government Chief Whip Jack Chambers and Sinn Féin's David Cullinan you're both very welcome to the programme. Jack this is a big week for the government some major calls to be made.
0: Yeah, no, it is a very really important week and obviously the, any week that we make decisions that affect the weeks ahead are, are really important. There's a lot of things we have to consider um, but I think it's important just to set out the five areas of consideration. Uh, we've obviously, retail is being examined uh, which is really important in terms of the business sector and I know many people have been calling for it. Also personal services like hairdressers and barbers uh religious uh religious services and um like we've tried to give a positive signal to many of the people in the faith community also sports we've had a positive day today many of our young people back out training i know coming out here seeing the bibs and cones and uh, people back out on pitches uh was so important uh, and we're also looking at expanding say the construction sector it's had a a lot of restrictions over the last number of months and um, so there are five key areas of consideration and we've tried to be honest with people uh, that and, and each time we review restrictions we don't we do it in a planned way that looks at key areas uh, and they're the areas for consideration uh, for government uh, on thursday as you've said NIAC um, will give the advice around Johnson & Johnson and that will inform the latest profiling of the vaccination rollout. That will happen uh, tomorrow. Then on Wednesday, NEFET will meet, uh, take into account the current public health position. Um, but I think we we can have grounds to be cautiously optimistic. People have had a number of months now of very difficult restrictions uh, which have had a huge toil on people and, and and it's important we appreciate the huge sacrifices people have made to get us in a good public health position as we head towards the summer and we're being careful and cautious as we as we progress this and we're, we're examining those key areas of consideration.
3: Careful and cautious and yet I think people's expectations were raised last week. And I think they were probably raised by members of Cabinet, weren't they? Leo Varadkar was out talking about Jim's reopening, Simon Coveney talking about going abroad. Have they made it difficult for the rest of Cabinet to, as you say, be cautious in the reopening plan?
0: I don't think so. I think in fairness to each member of Cabinet, they've reiterated uh, the key areas of consideration that we said uh, we'd set out, uh, and at the start of of April, when, when we were in March, we we set out three areas like construction, return to education, and also sport. That has happened, and we're seeing the benefits of that today. But there uh, wasn't
3: a bit kite flying yesterday or last week. It did feel more optimistic than it does this week.
0: Well, I think we can have optimism as we go into the summer, uh, and and if you look at the pace of the vaccination rollout is increasing, uh, we're we're continuing to see stabilisation of the virus. Uh, a lot of our vulnerable population have now got two doses of the vaccine, many have got their first dose, over 95% of over 70s, for example, have gotten their first dose. And we've people between 60 and 69, I think we all know people now who've registered for the vaccine, who are getting it through the portal and are going to vaccination centres. And now people are interested to see what, I suppose, the the bonuses for that. Yeah, and exactly. And if you look at the sequencing that has been set out by NIAC, it is about protecting the most vulnerable. And we're we're, we're doing that, we're progressing it.
3: So when the Taoiseach was speaking yesterday in the Week in Politics and he said he's getting it in the neck, about reopening where is he getting it in the neck from whom is it his own cabinet colleagues who are looking to push the boundaries further or is it lobby groups
0: no i think look the, the broader public have had a really difficult number of months uh, we've had since christmas it, it's 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 Restrictions have had extraordinary toil on people, and if you look at the who's putting pressure on the T shop. Well, well, it's not about it's not about pressure or groups. I think the broader public would like to see the planned reopening, and and it's taking it in a staged, cautious basis. And and we see the vaccination benefit. Every additional week that happens, as we vaccinate the most vulnerable of our population, we get the benefit of that. And but I think we have to, we have to give a signal to society that we are reopening but we're reopening in a phased way and we one thing we don't want to do is is to go back I think businesses that want to reopen want to stay open and that's how we're proceeding uh, for May and then o- also looking at uh, a summer that as Tishik said where it will be outdoors it what? will focus on it will focus on uh allowing people to a summer like last year where people could travel between counties um stay in in various hotels get to go to you know, visit family members around the country and that will happen through the vaccination benefit as we progress through the summer.
3: And just briefly before I go to you David when we talk about an outdoor summer are we saying therefore then there won't be an indoor summer? Are we talking about not allowing indoor dining uh, indoor attendance at pubs?
0: No, I think what the Taoiseach sought to do yesterday, like we, we know from uh, the public health position, that it's better to have more people outdoor. There's a there's a huge uh, transmission difference between indoor and outdoor, um, and and the focus will obviously be on outdoor. But I expect through the summer uh, we will be we'll be engaging with the hospitality sector, with hotels, um, and we, we want to get the uh, tourism and economic benefit of the summer as well, and get people back working in in those sectors too. So does that
3: recognise, as IBAC are saying this evening, that it needs to be? More than just an outdoor summer, it needs to be an indoor summer for some of these businesses. Well, I think
0: the, the predominant uh, focus will be outdoor, but I think there'll obviously be there'll be a nature of of indoor uh, to that as well. But I think government will will try and set out. Uh, that some of, it, some of it this week uh, and some of it at the end of May as well. Uh, and I think our bona fides is, 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 is honest here that we want to try and take each uh, number of weeks in, in steps so that we, we give a signal to the sectors. And that's why, as I've said, the five sectors I've set out uh, today are what we're examining this week, as well as trying to support a lot of our businesses as they reopen.
3: Uh, David, what do you want to see? And what does Sinn Féin want to see this Thursday?
1: Well, I think this is a big week for all of us to start with, not just for government. It's a big week for people who have made a huge sacrifice over the last 15 months. Obviously, the last number of months since January has been very tough and people have uh, have had to endure very tough restrictions. Uh, Many people, I know many people who have been out of work since March of last year and haven't seen uh, a day's work, people working from home and and want to to obviously socialise. People want their lives back. They want normality. And I think they accept it has to be done in a safe way and they accept that we have to be cautious you only have to look at India to see what happens when you lose control of the virus. So I think we have, to be, we have to be cautious. But equally, there has to be a plan and there has to be a lead in time. So whatever reopenings are possible, uh, it has to be on the basis, of course, of the public health advice. But it also has to be very clear to people uh, what's possible. And I welcome the fact that we are seeing light at the end of the tunnel. You know, we can see the finishing line. We have to stay the course to make sure that we can reap the benefits of that because I don't want to see you no know, more than Jack or you any restrictions in place for a minute or a second longer than they need to. Uh, We need to make sure that people can get a return for the huge efforts that they've made.
3: And obviously that return is going to be dependent, we understand, on what Neffet say this Wednesday and the advice that they give. You said in the Irish Times at the weekend that the government should stick to the advice of Neffet. But you said by and large, there's always room for nuance. So are you actually saying there, it's okay? you would support the government if they go further than the recommendations that come from Neffat, which will probably be more conservative, given the incidence rate that we see today?
1: Well, the public health officials themselves would say there's always room for new ones, so they will make recommendations. And of course if the government or if anybody wants to go further, you have discussions with Neffet and you have to work that out. It obviously has to be done in a safe way because nobody wants to take any risks at a crucial time. I think the announcement anticipated tomorrow in relation to the Janssen vaccine is going to be really important because every additional vaccine that we have in the system, every additional vaccine that goes into the arm of an individual puts us in a much stronger position. And what we're hearing from the public health officials is that while the numbers are still too high and they are high the harm that's done has been reduced. And we're, we're hearing that from, from Colum Henry, from the HSE and from others. And that's what they're so essentially shouldn't saying. So we should
3: concerned about the figures and the fact that they seem to be, you know, increasing or certainly, you know, not decreasing, which is what we'd all like but to we see have to ideally.
1: be we have to be concerned about the figures. But the point is that because of the progressive nature of a vaccine rollout, the more people that are vaccinated, the more people who are at risk that get vaccinated, the less people then will, will die, the less people that are in ICU. And that does give us opportunities. I think there is an issue, and I want to make the point as. Well, there was media reports that we could be looking at trika-type uh, changes coming in, into uh, place as well over the next number of months, and this was reported in the Irish Examiner. I think trika-style supervision will mean trika-style cuts. I don't think that's what we should be looking at. Okay. and are, I want to I come I, to that. But can I make mind? this point? Can uh, I make this point to government if I can, and make this point to Jack? If you look at the last recovery that we had after the last economic crash, the people who were bailed out were the banks and speculators. Okay. We had cuts, obviously, to people with cares, people with disabilities. We and we can't um, have I am the same again and we can't hit the reset button. Well, I might be little, here when he comes yeah, to that. No, no, we but, will. We will. I'll make sure. You, I'll make we sure. Cannot, I just want uh, to stick to the reopening the reset plan at the button.
3: moment if that's all right. Um, Jack, are you anticipating that there is going to be, you know, a difference of opinion between NEFET and the government and that the government may have to go further than NEFET recommends?
0: Well, your reporter, Paul, mentioned about Tony Holland being cautiously optimistic um, and we have predominantly followed the advice but government decides uh, and government decides the detail on the uh, based on the, the medical advice given by by NEFID and we're, we're looking at those five key areas of consideration that I've set out um, and, and we want to, to try and uh, do that in a, in a phased cautious way uh, and we've very close engagement with NEFA. but I want to come back to the point um, that's been raised just to say to people, Minister Michael McGrath set out today, that there won't be a cliff edge. The reason We have invested in businesses billions tens of billions invested in people and businesses for the last year supporting people through the difficulties of this pandemic and the reason we've done that okay. is that we want to continue that support so that we give up businesses and employees
3: to continue and
0: work over the coming period um, and, and i can later. assure you david uh, we're all at one on ensuring that employees and businesses and and everyone throughout our regions gets an opportunity to get back to work and and Um, reopen. I just want
3: to go back to to what Neffert were talking about being outside the summer and the Taoiseach talking about being outside the summer. From what I could read at the weekend in the papers when Neffert are talking about outside, they're talking about meeting in parks outside. Is that what the Taoiseach means? Or does he recognize that might mean meeting outside in beer gardens, meeting outside in people's back gardens?
0: Well, look. I, I think what we're looking because they're at, very different. We're, well, look. I, I, I think this summer we will have, uh, you know, the 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 it will be an opportunity for uh, for pubs to open, uh, for uh, restaurants to open, um, and with that there'll be there's obviously a mix of outdoor and indoor. The focus, though, predominantly has to be on outdoor activity. There's less transmission, and that mitigates the risk of spread uh, for, for of the virus. Uh, so I, I think the team is outdoors, but I think you can't view that in absolutist terms, where you rule out any any and indoor. I think,
1: here this is why we need as much clarity as possible, because obviously, if we're talking about more businesses open, and I want to see as many businesses open as possible, I want to see people go back to work. There has to be a lead-in time, and businesses businesses obviously have to prepare for reopenings. and And the point that was made about a cliff edge: we know that when some businesses reopen, they won't be open at full tilt. Uh, they will have to maybe operate at reduced capacity for some time because of the nature of where we're at and they need to make sure, we need to make sure that the support simply don't fall off the cliff, that they're properly supported. Yeah, they won't. Supported. Right. And, yeah. they won't. Okay. and Jack has they said, they said that won't.
3: that's not going to happen and I'll come to that again uh, a little later but first I want to go to Irish Times health editor Paul Cullen who is also joining us this evening via Skype. Paul, um, I read your piece uh, on Saturday in the Irish Times and you said, looking at the reopening, what could go wrong? Well actually quite a lot, is what you said. Vaccines, vacations and variants uh, were your three headlines. Could you expand on that a bit more for us?
4: Sure, yes. I mean, we only have to go back to last Christmas to see what goes wrong when all the um, fates conspire against us. So last Christmas, uh, we had a new variant. We didn't know about it at the time. Um, But it hit us um, like a sucker punch. It was at Christmas, which was the worst time for weather. Uh, We were all indoors. And it was the time when we all wanted to party or or socialize. Um, So those combination of factors created the disaster that unfolded in January. Um, So that's um, what can go wrong. And that's something of what's going wrong in, in India at the moment, where it seems like a new variant is playing a role there. Now, uh, that's variants. As for vaccinations, um, we have, it's great, we have 25% of the population, the adult population vaccinated, that's really good. It's probably not high enough uh, to to feel safe and secure. I mean, it's really obvious that the only way out of this um, pandemic is through vaccination. They really work the latest figures for for the MR, uh, mrna vaccines tonight talking about you know um efficiency of 96 98% they're they're doing really well and they're stopping transmission as well so they're the only way out um, but of course we have to get enough people vaccinated and i think you you have to be up around 40% or more um to start being able to breathe out. So we're not quite there yet as well. And obviously foreign holidays is tied into that because what happened last, we did quite well last summer. We, we almost eliminated the disease. We're down to a handful of cases. Um, we got rid of our homegrown uh, COVID-19, but of course with travel um, uh, new, 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 new strains um, came back into the country and that seeded the beginning of the rise that, that happened last autumn. So there are a, a, a number of things that could go wrong. Now, against that, I have to say, you know, the figures have been very stable. They are a bit too high, but they're pretty stable. Okay. And it's not just the politicians who've been talking uh, the optimistic um, uh, story at the, uh, in the last while. I mean, to- when Tony Hullohan came back from from his uh, leave, he was being optimistic, and he's still being optimistic tonight. So, um, th- you know, I think uh, Neffet made a plausible case for saying, Yes, we're, we're on the way, but just give us another two months and we're, we're probably about another, we're halfway through that period, another month or uh, six weeks. And I think we'll be a lot more certain. It certainly seems that the vaccine supply is being sorted out and uh, will expand and ramp up and the government will come near enough to some of the targets they've been talking about for June.
3: Um, Paul, I'm wondering, uh, as somebody who has studied this vaccine rollout the way you have, what impact that recommendation from NIAC on the use of Johnson & Johnson is going to have on the government's ability to hit that target, 80 or 82% of adults having a first dose by the end of June?
0: Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news?
4: Yeah, if I heard your your question correctly, because the line broke up a little bit, uh, tonight's uh, recommendation about NIAC in relation to Johnson & Johnson vaccine and AstraZeneca, that really dovetails very well with the kind of supply uh, of vaccines that we have. I think um, because of what's happened over the last few months, um, the Pfizer vaccine is obviously the mainstay of the programme. It's done all the most vulnerable people, the older age groups. Um, We do have supplies of those two vaccines coming in. They're not the most popular. Let's face it; there is resistance there from a section of the population. Um, but there'll be enough people, and myself included, would be very happy to get them if I could get them in the morning. Um, so um, it's onwards and upwards for the program after these decisions. I think um, because there are, you know, we now have uh, four vaccines and decent supplies and increasing uh, numbers of doses and that we seem to be sure of getting a lot more sure than the, we were in the last few months because of the problems that occurred. So um, I think a lot of the worries that might have surrounded the vaccine program are probably fading away at this stage.
3: And just very you
4: never know. Really never
3: know. <laughs> but we'll keep our fingers crossed. A roller
4: coaster ride, hasn't
3: it? It has, absolutely. Um, and one of the concerns I suppose at the moment is what as you mentioned has been happening in India. Are you concerned about that particular variant over there? Is that the big problem in India or did they just ease the lockdown too quickly? And should that country be on our mandatory hotel quarantine list this evening?
4: Yeah, well, I mean, possibly. I I wouldn't worry too much because of the situation we find ourselves with 25% of the population vaccinated. Um, the uh, the risk we, we we had our big uh, um, clash with uh, new variants at Christmas, as I said. Um, yes, it is playing a factor in what's happening in in India. Yes, there could be some new problem, some new uh, um, variant down the road that could cause problems. Remember, it has to be both more transmissible and particularly uh, to um, evade the I- immune response from the vaccine. So um, that, that, that seems to be a pretty tall order. And the good news for us, actually, ironically, is that this UK variant that we have seems to be the most transmissible variant that we have at the moment, and it's squashing down the other variants. So while we have okay. a number of cases of the various uh, variants of concern, Uh, that have been mentioned, they're not really gaining a foothold so far anyway. They're not getting Uh, a chance. and Their opportunity to do so is declining as more people get protection through vaccines.
3: All right, Uh, Paul Cullen from the Irish Times, thank you for speaking to us this evening. And I just want to ask you, um, Jack, about the supports that you mentioned uh, and the government saying today, look, they're not going to go off uh, a cliff edge but it has been reported this evening that from the end of June, they are going to look at reducing the €350 pop payment, that they're going to have to because we're running out of money.
0: Well, look, what, what government is trying to do is, as I said, Michael Grass said out very clearly, there will be no abrupt end. And that means mm-hmm. uh, the reason we've had such scale of pandemic supports over 15 months uh, for businesses, uh, for employees, uh, for people who are unemployed. Uh, the focus of government is to do two things. It's to have a national recovery plan uh, that stimulates our economy, supports our businesses, our SMEs to get back uh, when we reopen. And then we're very ke- clean, keen on doing it. And also but having... they can't last forever, and can also, they? So and are also, they going to be phased well, from the end of year? The June. reason this is different in, different in economic terms to what David referred to early earlier is this is about stimulus. It's about promoting growth. It's about protecting our communities and getting people back to work. And it'll be focused on young people there's a lot of young people who are unemployed, and we'll be doing everything we can from apprenticeships uh, to, uh, you know, in terms of regional development, doing everything possible to support growth and support our businesses uh, to But get that back might working.
3: also mean reducing the POP payment because I think, as was suggested this evening, that it might be a disincentive to some people going back to work. Is that what the government is looking at?
0: Well, what the government is looking at, as I said, across the pandemic supports is, as in the first instance, not having a cliff edge and over time as the economy uh, is is restored and and businesses get back operating there'll be a weaning of supports over over a length of time there won't be a a removal of support for people in a very fast way and it's important that the reason we've given people that support over such a length of time is that we give that people that safety net that opportunity that certainty and as the economy reopens we want to give people every opportunity to get back to work to support them in that, also to support uh, upskilling and and training and and have a, a new deal for young people. And that's something we're focused on across government
1: at the moment.
3: All right, so David, it's not going to be a cliff edge. It won't be an abrupt end. It'll be a slow, gradual weaning that will reflect the economy reopening.
1: Well, when people hear about trica-type rules, people will very quickly go back to what happened during those times and it wasn't about investment, it wasn't about stimulus, it was about cuts and we know the cuts impacted on carers, on people with disabilities, on ordinary working people and who were bailed out were speculators and banks. And what I'm saying very clearly is we cannot press the reset button and go back to where things were last February. We still have a housing crisis where there's many people who can't get access to affordable homes. Rents are still too high. We have a tsunami of missed healthcare care Coming at but in us terms of and the all of those investments and the have to be the and then of course, yeah, they shouldn't be cut because people who uh, are still out of work because of this pandemic, and it's not over yet, and won't be over for some time, shouldn't have the most basic payments and protections cut. And I fear that's exactly what Fianna Fail and Fine Gael will do. So when I hear about trika-type cuts, and the vast majority of people, I would imagine, listening to your program, they they'll remember what happened the last time we had those type of cuts, and it wasn't ordinary working people who right, were protected. We have to leave so it there.
0: Very clear that won't be the position, and we're going to support people as they. Return to work. Right.
3: We're going to have to leave it there. But coming up, a summer of sport, outdoors. What about the J A Championships? Do stay with us. welcome back. Well, government uh, chief whip Jack Chambers is still here with us and we're also joined by sports broadcaster and psychologist Moira Tressa and Kelly. You're both very welcome to the program. Look, there were lovely scenes today of people back playing tennis, people back on their beloved golf courses, but let's look a little further at uh, Jack Chambers as a minister for sport. Let's look to the the summer months, the championship, the JA championship. I know we had it last year but we'd no fans in attendance. Do you see that happening this summer in some
0: form? I do, um, but I'll just go back to, I just want to recognise the hugely important day-to-day of so many young people back out training. We've seen it all at GA A-clubs, soccer clubs, you name it, people playing tennis and golf. And we need to keep all those open. Um, but yes, we, we have a return to spectators plan that's been drafted. Um, and we would like to do, Test events during the summer. We can't put a definitive date on that now, but there's nothing more I want to do as someone lives in Dublin to get go and see a, a Dubs game. Uh, I'm sure more at the same seeing a a, a Galway match. Uh, and, so she definitely and, doesn't uh, want to go and see a uh, Dubs game, and, and,
3: maybe a uh, Galway match.
0: You'd like to go and see see Donegal if they can uh, advance this year. But look, we we we, we look the All Ireland is such an important across uh, uh, in Ga ladies football and Camogie. Um, it's great that we're able to have an All Ireland series this summer and hopefully the one with the vaccination effect hopefully the one difference this year compared to last year is that we will see some spectators back and but that'll be done in a planned way and in a cautious way and we've had a draft plan uh since the end of last year on that obviously with the level of cases earlier on this year we weren't able to do it
3: and could that be related to whether or not people have been fully vaccinated could that be part of the vaccine bonus that people talk about
0: no, look, I think it'll be more around how we, like, you wouldn't like to exclude children, for example, from attending a game. Um, but we've we've put a significant amount of work in in medical experts. We've looked at comparative international analysis. Uh, we've seen, for example, the, the League Cup last weekend mm. uh, had fans in the UK. Um, and we will we'll look at trying to do test events, as I said, during the summer. We've also had the Ferguson report as well on antigen testing. Uh, there's a huge, huge amount of science uh going into this across the world uh, and I think you know we will be able to see whether it's a GA match or a League of Ireland game I'd like to think through the summer we'll be able to test those events uh, and that shows the the benefit of you know, the huge sacrifice people have made over the last number of months uh, we will have a, hopefully have spectators during the summer and i, I think people would, think would welcome that th-
3: therefore then something like the club championships could be back as well or is the scenes we saw last year does that con- you know leave kind of a lingering bad taste in government's mouth leave maybe a, you know an element of concern about having club championship back
0: i'll just say so we're asked obviously We've had the reopening of a lot of sport today. Um, we'll be looking at a lot of young adults, for example, uh, aren't able to train at the moment with their teams. We want to. To try and uh, we're looking at that at the end of the week for May. Um, and then one of the issues from last autumn was that many of our young people, underage and, and also adult teams uh, that were training, had an indefinite cycle of training where they weren't able to compete. And uh, So we've had a lot of engagement with uh, the different sporting bodies on on how we'd have a return to competition uh, during the summer. But obviously we're looking at May and May will be hopefully an expansion of outdoor training. Um, but look, I think it, it would be unfair to... You know, we we, we would like to see competition come back at a a club level during the year. uh, And and we'll be working with the governing bodies on on that, depending, obviously based on the public health position at the
3: time. Um, Moira, I'm wondering how difficult it is for anybody who plays sport, whether it's the GAA or basketball or golf or whatever it is, to, you know, train in a vacuum when you don't know if you're going to compete, when you don't know if you have a match, and when you don't know if there's going to be a spectator there. And how important is it that we have some clarity around that this week?
6: It's really important and to be fair, this was an issue we had pre-pandemic times. I mean, the big complaint of Gaelic Games was the cycle of training and you didn't know when you were going to have a match and you had no schedule and club versus county and it's caused headaches for years and I'm just glad I'm not the decision maker in Crow Park trying to sort it out. The pandemic stepped in and kind of sorted it out for them. But interestingly enough, and actually if you look at the data and I saw Brian Cuthbert, um, he wrote something very interesting, the Irish Examiner over the weekend talking about how even small kids if they don't have a little target to be working towards be it small go games or come in the Munskull or cool camps or playing competitions against the next parish over you, still, you know you still have a bit of you know needle and niggle even if it is under eights um, that has to be fostered and welcomed because kids need to have a little target to work towards but crucially they need to have fun and that's part of the fun so it needs to be done in a way where they enjoy themselves where they have a bit of competition it helps them grow emotionally it helps them grow physically and it's great fun and that would be the fear that if kids aren't having fun at training that they will drop back and I suppose if there's one lesson we could take from this as well I would be very worried that I know coaches are out there they're volunteers and I saw Shane Smith as well he writes about this a lot and talks about it online a lot you know coaches they've spent all winter lockdown on webinars trying really really hard to learn and become the best coaches in the world and maybe forget to see what training looks like through a child's eyes. I mean, what kids want is just to have fun. They want to see their mates. They want to run around, do somersaults, go nuts. Let them let off the steam. The training will come. And I think the most important thing a coach could do with them, with kids coming back is ensuring they're active because kids are not getting enough physical activity. And that is a huge problem. Beyond Hopefully sport.
3: something that is being addressed, uh, as you say, as uh, some of those sports are, are reopened. One of the other big events, obviously, this summer as well, is going to be the Olympics due to start in uh, Japan on July twenty. 20- but we see that country uh, in the middle of a third lockdown, only one percent of the population vaccinated. And it appears among the Japanese, absolutely no appetite, Jack Chambers, to hold the Olympics and to bring all of these people into the country. Have you any concerns around sending Irish athletes there?
0: Well, look, the, the current, obviously they're in a, they've called a state of emergency and they're in a mm. serious wave of their pandemic. And, uh, and I know that's a very difficult Predicament for the Japanese authorities and the IOC, um, but I think you know with the significant restrictions, um, we you know we all Olympic teams have put in five years of sacrifice. Uh, there, a lot of our Irish athletes are, are still qualifying for. Uh, for through their through their different uh, to, through different events at the moment and many of our Olympic team are still trying to get to Tokyo. Um and So you, know, you think
3: they should go regardless of what's happening? Obviously if there's a lockdown, it's it'll probably be called
0: well, off. There's been, but there's been a huge amount of work by the Olympic authorities in putting a plan in place and mitigating the effects of of COVID and, and that's a huge engagement with the international Olympic authorities and the Japanese government. Um, but obviously pandemics are unpredictable COVID is unpredictable. Uh, I hope we will see uh, Irish athletes um, in the Olympics this summer and they've put in such sacrifice over the last number of years. Uh, I I think it'd be great to see them follow that through having qualified.
3: Uh, Isn't there going to be a difficulty though, because I think you said last week that they wouldn't be bumped up the pecking order when it comes to vaccines and that (laughs) Olympic athletes would just have to wait and be vaccinated by like everybody else.
6: Like yeah, that. it's um, it's actually funny enough when this was first mooted, when the vaccines first came on the horizon and we realised they were going to happen and we were all going to get them at some point whenever we didn't know um, in January, I was amongst that subset of people who said, no, no, everybody must wait their turn. But I think as we've seen over the last few weeks and months that NIAC has been continually changing the turns, NEFIT has been changing it, you know, because they've been led by science and by data and by information. And I, I'm now, I think, and it's the balance of medical and legal ethics and sporting ethics, isn't it? Now I'm kind of thinking like, like, geez, wouldn't it be great if we could celebrate sport all over the world to allow our athletes go? Like, I'm now would be in favour of vaccinating these people for the pure reason that how many athletes is Ireland going to send? 50-ish, maybe 60 for lucky? Let them go off because wouldn't it be the biggest tragedy if they arrived to Tokyo and then were knocked out because they caught it. Uh, Jack, any movement on that briefly?
0: Well, that would be a decision for the Department of Health and, and obviously they'll engage with the with the OFI. Look, I think it's it's about the public health uh, position. We haven't had um, ministers deciding who, who gets a vaccine or not, so it'll be a matter for NIAC and the Department of Health. Right. Um, but, and they'll engage obviously with the Olympic authorities as well on that question.
3: OK, we're going to have to leave it there. But coming up next, a tabloid war of words between Boris Johnson and his former spin doctor. Do stay with us. You're very welcome back. I'm joined from London now by Sky News correspondent Enda Brady on an escalating war of words between British Prime Minister Boris Johnson and his former top spin doctor Dominic Cummings. Enda, what a story, I have to say. What has happened? What has sparked this war of words?
5: Well, they've fallen out spectacularly, Kira, and it's really fascinating what's going on. Quite obviously, the Prime Minister believes that Dominic Cummings, his former chief advisor, his former best ally, is responsible for systematic leaking of news about the government. Now, there have been drip, drip, drips of information, all of it negative and damaging to the government over the past weeks and months, and all of it, of course, ending up in the newspapers and the media... It has not done Boris Johnson any good, and it would appear that in the past few days, the Prime Minister has snapped and had enough. Uh, And there was certainly a briefing to several conservative-leaning newspapers over the last few days, uh, pointing the finger of blame towards Dominic Cummings. And of course, he responded with this dynamite blog post. Uh, They called it a dom-shell. Dominic Cummings having his say, refuting the allegations that he is the source of the leak, And we have this intriguing, almost a political line of duty going on in Westminster.
3: Let's talk about today's revelation, which was the front of the Daily Mail over there, about comments that have been attributed to Boris Johnson around the time of a lockdown, where he is reported to say, let the bodies pile high rather than bring the British economy into another lockdown. What have Downing Street had to say about that particular story?
5: So the Prime Minister visited North Wales today. He went to Wrexham at lunchtime and he was asked by a reporter, is it true that you use that phrase? And there was an expletive in the the quote as well in the newspapers. And the Prime Minister said categorically no. And he said, look, people want to get on with the vaccination programme. People want to know that lockdowns work. And he gave a very robust defence. But ultimately, this got into the papers. Several Conservative sources have said that it was said in frustration, almost in anger. that There was a meeting, and yes, it was reluctantly agreed that the UK would have to go into this second lockdown at the end of October. And the, the sources are saying that basically the Prime Minister retreated to his study, and several people in the corridor outside heard him allegedly say this phrase, no more lockdowns, let the bodies pile high in the streets. Now, Downing Street reject that. And Boris Johnson himself today has said categorically he did not use those words.
3: And just two other stories, I think, that have really uh, caught my attention. One is who paid for the refurbishment of uh, Downing Street, the number 11 flat in Downing Street. I think Boris Johnson said he's paid for it, but when did he pay for it and whether there's some donations involved? But also what role his partner, Carrie Simmons, had in an investigation against one of her pals who worked in downing street bring us through those briefly if you can enda
5: yes so the refurb has reportedly cost two hundred thousand pounds sterling and this has to be the most refurbished flat in central london honestly every time there's a new occupant of downing street that flat always gets changed they don't like what the previous owners have done the previous occupants if they're politically different parties it always seems to get changed so the genius idea the Prime Minister seemed to have had was that he would get Conservative Party donors to make a donation and this would cover the cost. Uh, that appears to have been rumbled and now, ultimately, Boris Johnson will be paying for it out of his own pocket. That probably hasn't gone down too well. 200 grand sterling on a refit of what is quite a small flat. The other aspect to this, Carrie Simmons seems to carry quite a lot of power, quite literally, in Number 10 Downing Street... There was a war of words and certainly a a turf war between her and Dominic Cummings. She won that. Um, uh, There was a a meeting to try and find who was the source of the leaks. In that meeting, Dominic Cummings, the prime minister, Simon Case, who's the cabinet secretary, and Lee Cain, who's the number 10 head of communications. And Dominic Cummings is alleging that he was cleared of being the source of the leak. And he claimed that all fingers and eyes were pointing towards a man called Henry Newman, special advisor, newly installed in Downing Street, very close friend of Carrie Simmons. And Cummings' side are claiming that ultimately, uh, Boris Johnson said, look, if he is the chatty rat, this is the phrase that's being used for the leak, the source of the leak, he would have to fire him. And that would leave him in very serious trouble with Carrie Simmons, his fiance, because Henry Newman and Carrie Simmons are good friends so there's so much intrigue going on honestly it is like a political line of duty what will happen next
3: oh i think it's even better to be honest the chatty rat is <laughs> straight out of lane of duty very briefly Ender, is this damaging boris johnson
5: not in the polls he's far ahead of labour keir starmer can't land a glove on him at the moment boris johnson is buoyed by the vaccination program and just looking at my notes 33.6 million adults in the UK have now had at least the first jab. So he's got the vaccination programme backing him up. He's got a lot of political capital there. You know, if this is a story, I think, that has gripped journalists and Westminster are talking about not really. They want the jab, they want normality and they want the summer holiday.
3: So it's just sad people like us who are obsessed. Is that it, Enda? Uh, thanks, as always, for your time. Much appreciated.
7: Pleasure.
3: Well, Social Justice Ireland launched a poverty focus report, which shows 15% of all those in poverty in Ireland have a job, while a quarter of those in poverty are children. Sean Healy is here with me now. Uh, Sean, there was another very interesting um, statistic that came out in that report today, looking at poverty in the regions. Tell me what you found.
7: There's some very surprising results when you look at the results for the regions. The national level of poverty is 12.8%. One in eight in the population uh, live in households at risk of poverty. However, when you look, that's 12.8%. When you look at the border region, it's almost 10 percentage points higher at 22% and even maybe for some people more surprising the second uh, highest level of poverty in the regions is in the southeast region which is nine percentage points ahead uh, higher than uh, the national number so there's some very very serious questions about uh, the level of poverty uh, and the regional distribution of it and the failure of government policy to address that and what were you putting that down to the failure to actually have a serious regional or rural development uh, policies, because there has been a huge failure to put in the infrastructure that's required, uh, to put in the services that are required uh, to ensure that people, for example, can develop uh, jobs and work and so on in the regions in terms of having a decently paid job. For example, um, if you want to work uh, from home, Uh, If you're in many of the regions, such as the borders or or, or down in the southeast or wherever, uh, in the west it's 15%. Uh, If you're in in that space, you may not have access to broadband. And how can you work from home anyway effectively uh, in a modern uh, world if you don't have access to there? Not alone that, we're seeing the growth of a huge digital economy at the moment. Again, some people flying, some people doing badly. The problem is, it's the same people who are doing badly again. And that gap and is actually- areas? And the same areas? And the same gaps. the same gaps, the gap is widening. And what we have is a situation uh, where there's a gap widening in society. It, like, we're getting a, a, a more deeply divided society. And deeply divided uh, two-tier kind of societies, they're bad for the people who are, have to live through the lower tier. But they're also bad for business. And they're bad for the society. And it's in society's interest, and in government interest, and in the economy's interest to have everybody participating to the full.
3: And what impact has the pandemic had on that? And what impact is it going to have long-term, do you fear?
7: I think the key outcome of the pandemic, the government has done the right thing in the beginning by not going the way they did 12 years ago with an austerity approach. Instead, they have taken the approach that most, most governments in Europe have taken, which is the right way to go. But we're going to see, I think, an increase in unemployment because of COVID somewhere in the region of an additional 120,000 Uh, people unemployed and that's a very high number and on top of that we're going to see a a very substantial growth in unemployment among young people Mm -hmm. so there's a very serious challenge to put in uh, kind of the the, the kinds of programs that are required and the infrastructure required to support people to get back from that space
3: in terms of getting out of poverty what do you think is key
7: there are two things that I would recommend one has to do with the working poor And the other has to do with the general sort of levels of poverty. The working poor issue, there's 15%, the number that you gave at the start, 15% of all those in poverty actually has a job. Now, the problem is many of those don't benefit from the full value of the tax credits they have. If they were to benefit from the full value of the tax credits, they would not be in poverty. It's make, called making tax credits refundable. That could be done to tackle the working poor issue. Okay. But the biggest thing that needs to be done... And just to be clear, to be those done,
3: people who have a job, it could be a part-time job, it could be a couple hours a week, it might not be a full-time job.
7: But it could be a full-time job too. There's a lot of low pay out there. We don't have... Our, our minimum wage is not at the living wage level. However, to look at the broader issue, the Welfare rates are the key to reducing poverty. They worked very well when people, when government was oh, nice. increasing it. However, the last two budgets, not an additional cent for the core welfare rates. That okay. is a recipe for increasing poverty, not reducing it.
3: We're going to have to leave it there, but Sean Healy, thank Thanks, you for coming into, uh, into studio this evening. That is all from us here. I'll be back tomorrow night. Uh, the next news is here on Virgin Media 1 on Ireland AM in the morning. Until then, stay safe. Good night.